You're listening to Podcast on Fire. It's Asian cinema in a podcast. With your hosts, the magnificent trio of Stu, Ken, and Mike. Hello, my name is Brian Kirby. I am the uh, owner and proprietor of ShelfLifeClothing.com. I have a lot of Asian cinema style t-shirts. And uh, I'm a listener to Podcast on Fire, and I'm glad to be on the show. So speaking of kaiju, uh, we should really go back to the beginning. So what was your introduction to the whole phenomenon of kaiju? Well, uh, in New York, when I was a little kid, uh, we had uh, a few different shows that would have monster movies constantly. Uh, one was Chiller Theater, which would show on Saturday nights and uh, was, would show Hammer movies and Toho movies. And uh, if you were lucky, you got to stay up uh, very late for those. Or uh, everyone in New York would know the uh, 4.30 movie, which uh, would often have Monster Week, uh, where they'd show five Godzilla movies or uh, other Toho uh, monster masterpieces uh, five days in a row. And uh, it was really like a holiday for all the kids. We loved it. Would these be like complete uh, versions of the films? or they, Because I heard people talk of... Uh, TV airings of completely different movies being like one hour long for some reason? They would be an hour and a half long. It would uh, start at 4.30 and end at 6. Um, But if there was uh, a longer movie, they would split it up between two days. But uh, usually the Godzilla movies would fit, they would fit it within the hour and a half range. In terms of uh, theatrical experiences with with, uh, monster movies, um, uh, what's been your experiences in in that regard? I got to I got to see, they, in 1974, which I'm old enough to have been alive during, uh, I got to see, they called it Godzilla versus the Bionic Monster because the $6 million man was so popular, and they actually got sued and had to change it um, midway through the release to Godzilla versus the Cosmic Monster. But the movie was actually uh, the very first uh, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, right. um, which was... Uh, just a blast to go to at the local movie theater first run uh you know because most of these movies they didn't get a theatrical release in the united states uh in the early 70s and uh they went straight to tv but this one uh it was great you got they sold programs it was it was you know like a big event and uh it was a blast i remember i went with a elementary school friend of mine and it was just a great, great experience. And yeah. I've seen, uh, I've seen uh, the a couple of the recent, or the not recent, but decades, decade ago, uh, Gamera movies in the theater as well. They had uh, limited run art house releases here, mm-hmm. and uh, that that first Gamera movie, uh, the the Kaneko directed Gamera movie in the movie theater was really, really fun. Uh, the crowd really loves it. And I have also seen uh, Destroy All Monsters in the movie theater, and that is a huge crowd pleaser. I saw that at the Egyptian theater in Los Angeles, and the the crowd just goes crazy for that one when you see it with a big crowd that's really into it. I can imagine. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a brilliant choice, uh, as we will discuss on the show, to have that many monsters yeah. in one movie. How will that not please an audience? It was, I mean, it, a lot of, uh, you get a lot of uh, art house theater types mixed in with the, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> geeky kaiju types. But it seems to melt everyone by the end. And uh, the thing that uh, in that movie that especially got a huge rousing roar of applause uh, was uh, when uh, Gorosaurus does his kangaroo kick of uh, Ghidra. Okay. Uh, uh, the place went crazy. I was it was very very fun to see uh, people cheering this uh, fairly ridiculous uh, scene on as uh, wonderfully as they were. Uh, dubbed in English, also that cinema. That one was du- that one was a dubbed version, yeah, that they showed. I would love to see the- that because I, I I have the Australian DVD which has uh, you know, original language and the Toho English dub. And I, uh, uh, that was, 
akin to suffering through a movie the english the english um toho dub so i would love to see it with the redone more professionally done dub that at least syncs up they uh, they had some they you know people give the the movies a bad rap for the dubbing they had some really good uh uh voiceover actors like paul freeze and uh you know george takai and uh yeah yeah well my point is what did the what the dubs that were done in america uh yeah uh, re, the redone dubs often were quite enjoyable and well done so this was basically my first experience at destroy all monsters uh watching it with the toho prepared dub uh, yeah that's but, too bad <laughs> uh, yeah exactly but so 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 i gather they redid it uh, as per usual when it was released in america so it probably has a better uh, u.s release dub if you will yeah it got a pretty good u.s release you can't it's not just the dubbed one i would love to have the subtitled one the thing one of the things i really miss when they uh uh don't provide the japanese version is the title sequences uh, because a lot of times they just put you know slap some video generated font saying you know gamma versus whatever over the and you don't get these uh Amazingly, the font, the Japanese fonts and everything—it's—it's it's a whole presentation. It's really beautiful looking, uh, and I hate to see those not given a nice treatment. You know, uh, the the worst examples I've ever seen in that regard. I have I haven't seen it only seen still shots of it. The DVD release of Daimajin, one of them that was the Japanese version, had a. Uh, gray background with white letters on it when it started to uh, uh, write out the cast for the movie. Not the um, fire in the background that, that is the opening credits of Daimajin now, just an ugly yeah. ass gray yeah, background. It's so terrible. Because uh, they, uh, the theme with a lot of the credits is they have these amazing textures that they develop for each monster or or uh you know landscape and they'll superimpose the the uh font over them and it just is it's got a signature style that really sets the tone and it's just so terrible when you see you know someone type out in you know helvetica font <laughs> <laughs> the title of the movie over this beautiful looking you know thing it's, it's a little depressing if it doesn't cover the entire Toho scope, then, then then there's something wrong with it. Yeah. No, yeah. Exactly. But, or uh, just a black bar over it with you know, exactly. Toho. You know. Um, moving on here. I mean, uh, obviously you're a fan of the of the kaiju genre, but, but what, sure. why why does it specifically speak to you? What is does it represent to you? What does it do to you? <laughs> Uh, I, don't, I don't want it to do much to me, but uh, I just a, a, a fussy uh, feeling. <laughs> um, it depends on the movie. I mean, you gotta like I've seen. I actually have seen the original uh, Godzilla, the Japanese cut, uh, in the theater. That is a just a masterpiece of movie making. It's got so much going for it, um, and just when you see that uncut original one it's just one of the i think one of the the, the best movies ever it's just so good and it establishes so much that i mean they created a genre with it that was so different um but it's it's very serious in tone it has it has scenes like the one scene that stands out uh to me is uh that scene after godzilla devastates the city Mm-hmm. And there's a shot of them holding a Geiger counter to a little girl, and it's going off yeah. uh, with the music, the absolutely wonderful music playing in the background. And it is, it is so emotional, and uh, it's 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 just such a good movie. But then, on the flip side, you have you know uh, Godzilla versus Megalon or something like that, which is uh, more like an Ultraman episode. <laughs> Um, that is that is just silly, and uh, they're they're eating up screen time by showing cars driving for ten minutes, you know, because they don't have the budget. Uh, but the, there's the charm of that too. But so it's really hard to say what's the specific thing between all of it. Um, but I think the thing that I really gravitate to a lot is uh, the uh, music of of all these movies. The uh, Akira Ifukube music is just 
absolutely um, just w one of the greatest uh, movie mu music achievements because he has to sell all this ridiculous action. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's guys in rubber suits, but you know, it, it looks great, it's wonderful, it's colorful, but what the sound is what I think really sells it to people. And even um, the monsters yells he created musically, mm -hmm. um, like uh, Godzilla is a contrabassoon that they're um, running a resined glove down the length of to make that noise. Right. Um, or uh, you know, think of all the distinct. They all are so distinctive. All the monster noises or the spaceship noises, and they're part of the score. You know, it's 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 got this real wonderful uh, tone to the whole thing that I think really sells it. And they, they have their own, you know, uh, Ishiro Honda had his, his anti-war, anti-nuclear weapons, anti-pollution, you know, treat animals and nature um, with respect message that uh, was, it works because it was sincere. And, you know, it's just, I just love it. It just um, all works out. Uh, to to people listening in, uh, Ishiro Honda was one of the uh, most frequent uh, Godzilla directors and uh, directed the very first one. Um, he directed the first one. He directed uh, the first. I, let me see. I have to count. But he directed. He directed pretty much all the good ones uh, up until a cer certain point. Mm -hmm. um, he didn't do the second one, um, and it suffers for it. Although I do enjoy the movie. Uh, and that one has a, a soundtrack by Masaru Sato, who was uh, everyone would know from the Kurosawa movies. Yes. Uh, uh, there's a lot of Kurosawa crossover between the uh, two franchises, um, but he just he had a unique point of view and a, a real composer's eye for the 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 shot composition of some of these Godzilla movies are is wonderful the balance is, uh just i mean Kurosawa absolutely loved uh Honda and Honda in fact actually directed parts of Ron oh really he did all the action scenes uh for Ron uh he had kind of semi retired and uh Kurosawa um asked him to help out and he's like oh if i wouldn't be too much trouble i will <laughs> and he, he and he he delivered those uh, amazing uh, scenes in Ron that are just just wonderful. Do do you yourself um, ever feel any regret uh, that this that the Godzilla series specifically uh, became less and less serious, or you know you you have at least the first one that was such a great statement and a dramatic movie, and and despite it being more kid friendly and more outlandish and more kooky uh, do you feel any regret that they never during that time uh, up until 1975 found a serious streak again or um well i i think they they tried it the first few times uh godzilla was a just just hit every note perfectly and then uh, they had a few other movies they had uh varin which was uh, serious in tone but a little bit boring because it was just like a retread. Mm -hmm. um, then they had a more successful serious tone with Rodan, which actually really works really well as a movie because it has a lot of mystery and you don't know what's happening for about a good 45 minutes of the movie. There's It starts out with mysterious deaths and coal mines. And then uh, it's revealed that there's these big insect creatures that are doing it. And then midway through the movie, it takes this right turn and you realize that the, the insect creatures aren't really uh, the, the threat. It's these uh, pterodactyls that have been hatching in the mines. And it just turns into a full-blown monster movie. And it, it's, it's a really good movie. Um, uh, but that, then... that, that kind of surprises me, and I'm very... Uh... I'm looking forward to watching that now because the the two movies I've seen with Rodan, uh, and I'm not one to look down technically at this genre at all, but it seems like that particular monster in Destroy All Monsters and uh, 
uh, Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. It seemed a bit uh, stiff in execution, like they didn't really find a a technical solution to convey much with Rodan. Uh, the there, there are shots in the original Rodan that are really good, really good. And the design of the of of the two, there's two Rodans in Rodan, and uh, the design I think is much stronger in the original than when they uh, they brought him back. Uh, Busted him out of the volcano in Ghidorah, yeah. and uh, had him come back. Yeah, that first Rodan is excellent. Um, but and they they made movies like Half Human. Um, they were just trying to find their footing. They made some good ones, and then they made uh, Mothra. And with Mothra, they started to be funny. They said, you know, let's let's open this up. Let's have a let's take advantage. Let's make it. You know, widescreen color. Uh, they had the master stroke of signing the uh, Peanuts, the twin girl singing lounge act girls, yeah. uh, to be the uh, Mothra fairies, um, who were an excellent lounge act. If you've ever seen any of their act, they they were uh, really good. They were on the Ed Sullivan Show and things like that. Oh, cool! And uh, they just had this. Uh, great idea to just make it a little more comic booky, a little more fun, uh, have the characters, main characters, uh, be have a comic relief quality to them. And that movie is just wonderful, except towards the end when they're trying to replicate, uh, they call it New Kirk City. Uh, they're, you know, it's this fake America that uh, is called... Uh, Relisican or something uh, towards the end. It suffers a little because they don't really have the budget. You know, all of a sudden the massive crowds turn into a handful of white people <laughs> because it's set in America and they couldn't really get as many people as they wanted, I guess. So the the end kind of dips uh, for that movie, but they they did strike a tone where they said, you know what, we can be funny with this. And then... Uh, when they went ahead with uh, King Kong versus Godzilla, they uh, really embraced the comical tone of the whole thing. And I think that was good. They, they had tried uh, to be serious a number of times, and it seemed like it was, it was, a, it was just walking in the same steps, you know? And uh, once they opened it to this comic book world, then... It was like Marvel Comics, you know. Everything was related to one another, and it all—it all was, you know, these wrestling matches. But it was so much creativity and crazy ideas in it that I think it all worked. I mean, it degenerated over the years as he became, as Godzilla became the hero rather than this menace. Yeah. Uh, but in those middle years. Uh, I even uh, people don't like uh, Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster. Uh, I I love that one. I think it's uh, where they suddenly change the setting to the you know Pacific Island, uh, South Seas Island, and uh, they they just had a lot of ideas and creativity. Uh, would that be there for the introduction of Monster Island, or you're talking about a different uh, setting? No, that one uh, Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster. It starts out. Um, it's part there's a there's a, a a very strange plot where these uh kids are at a uh, a dance contest they run into this other guy whose brother disappeared somewhere while he was sailing and they end up on a uh stolen yacht with a uh professional uh cat burglar <laughs> and As the you movie they do yeah, yeah, and the movie just focuses on that whole fun thing for uh, of them just you know on the South Seas. Then they end up on an island with these kind of neo-Nazi Japanese uh, <laughs> an army called the Red Bamboo, and uh, and in in their in their trying to escape from these Nazi these Japanese Nazis on the island. They discover that Godzilla is hiding in a cave there, uh, so they uh, use lightning to uh, wake him up to try and 
uh, even the uh, playing field with these uh, evil fascists that are on the island with the nuclear power plant that they're they're secretly developing. But it's, it's something about it just works. I mean, you know, it's it's just colorful and ridiculous, and it's just fun. It's just a, a blast when you see these colorful people in colorful situations. I think uh, for, for me, though, since the first movie made such a statement, dramatically and still does, I mean, you, you don't really need uh, a series of uh, serious statements you know, no, for 10 years. And, uh, and so certainly maybe, uh, this is just me having a theory, maybe the decade, the 60s, uh, dictated that, you know, color and the scope opening up and uh, that you, you know, uh, it, was, uh, you, it was fun. Uh, it was a fun decade. It was, uh, cinema should be more fun. And, and commercially, yes. probably that uh, uh, worked in the series' favor. I mean, it was commercially successful up to... Uh, maybe throughout the decade. I don't, uh... well, when King Kong got versus Godzilla came out, that's, I mean, there's a whole storyline there where Willis O'Brien, back right after King Kong, was trying to make a King Kong versus Frankenstein movie. Mm-hmm. And that developed over many years. And it was uh, King Kong versus the Prometheus, I think, was the, the uh, project. And it just exchanged hands and went nowhere until Toho finally bought it and decided to replace Prometheus with Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And they thought it was a perfect, you know, it was their anniversary movie where they'd throw all their uh, talent into it. So they put, uh, you know, uh, the two of the starlets, the two James Bond girls from You Only Live Twice are in it. Right. Uh, uh, the most photographed Japanese women of all time uh, was their <laughs> was their claim, uh, and, they, and they put, you know, just filled it with the the Japanese stars and had uh, real fun with it. Just said, you know, this is a wrestling match movie. Wrestling was hugely popular in Japan uh, on television, which was a really starting to everyone was starting to get a TV then. Mm-hmm. And uh, wrestling really was the number one thing that people were starting to see on television there. And they just, they went with the times. They said, let's make it a full-blown silly wrestling match. Let's show that we know that it's a full-blown silly wrestling match and have a lot of fun with it. And uh, they just, they created something that they could have a series of movies about rather than... um, you know the original Godzilla, which was a very different uh, sort of movie. Uh, what what I've heard from different audio commentaries and, and read uh, from watching the Godzilla movies, uh, uh, Honda uh, said either quite verbally at one point or just in a minor way that uh, he, he would l- he would have liked to make more serious statements, but. Uh, uh, he, he, after all, directed a lot of these, so he, he probably was a guy that, uh, you know, I, I, I know the commercial system and I don't mind playing the game. He was, he, yeah, yeah, he was a, he was a very, um, I mean, again, he told Kurosawa if it wouldn't be too much trouble. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he was a team player, um, but he was a really, really fine director um, just for the, the shot compositions. Really, really excellent. Um and uh, Kurosawa actually wanted to direct a Godzilla movie at one point, but Toho wouldn't let him because they thought it would be too expensive. Um, but that would have been something that, I, you know, who knows how that would have turned out, but if they had a serious tone Kurosawa Godzilla movie, I, I, that would have been something special, I think. And he would have had lots and lots of trouble topping Ishiro Honda's movie. Yeah, uh, and I doubt yeah. he would actually, because it's uh, you know uh, g- going back slightly. The, the the most I guess haunting image from that movie that sticks in my head is the um, I think it's shortly after the scene you described, but the uh, the little kid singing uh, in the choir, uh, singing in the yeah, church absolutely. or the big hall. I mean that that's such just, a good uh, yeah. Uh, that's just such such an incredible uh, incredible scene of that movie that. Y- any chance of a remake of that trying to capture that little moment 
would be uh, really difficult because the sincerity and the the music is just so great. I mean, it's just so great. And 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 and, and I guess that's why I asked, what does it do to you? I mean, uh, what's the emotional response? But I gather that you 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 like to have both the you know that emotional response and the emotional emotional response of watching a fun, colorful Toho yeah, Scope movie. I mean, you know, you could say that they're almost like uh, hangover. Ha- a lot of them are hangover movies where you could just put it on and it's just colorful and it's not. It doesn't make you. Uh, it doesn't challenge you, but it's very comforting. I don't know whether it's a childhood memory thing or anything, but they're just uh, they're just easy, fun, creative. Uh, I mean the the four or five main people that were involved with these were just really creative on a very very tight schedule and budget mm-hmm. uh, and it just shows and I appreciate that you know and then and again speaking of that tight schedule what was it that Mofra and Godzilla versus Mofra were they made in the same year or at the same time was it one of those uh, no, I think uh, I think no because King Kong versus Godzilla came between them I believe okay I'm not Quite sure about that, but uh, uh, maybe I think maybe was Ghidra. He shot at the same time as Godzilla. Yeah, he. Uh, yeah, I think they started Ghidra. Yeah, so I mean, uh, b- being a team player and uh, uh, a great workhorse uh, for the genre. It was a good it? team too. You know, they, you had uh, Tanaka, the producer, who uh, had the initial idea to do this, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, the fact that they took so much from real actual tragic events mm-hmm. um not just the hiroshima and nagasaki bombings but uh was the what was it the uh, crew of the lucky seven i'm i'm reaching into my memory yeah, there yeah, was yeah. an atomic bomb test um that poisoned uh japanese fishermen um who weren't warned about this happening and the united states uh, set off some atomic bombs right mm-hmm. Right in their vicinity, and uh, when they came back to uh, to Japan, they had uh, they all, all died of radiation poisoning. It was a huge, awful, um, you know, gut wrenching event for them. And uh, first scene the, the opening of Godzilla, yeah, is the first scene. That's the first scene in the movie, and uh, it just takes a lot of guts to, or just a lot of uh, maybe not guts. Maybe it's more just. Uh, honest emotion to to throw that into what is you know essentially a, a sci-fi you know monster movie but it, it gets to be a little bit more than that just because they did n- have such bravado in putting real uh references inside the movie right uh, yeah it's a uh, it, it it leads us into the next discussion to how to keep up with the different uh, series of uh, monster movies and the multiple movies within that uh, within those series that came out rolling out of various studios I mean okay yeah. uh, maybe Toho and Dai are the only two ones I, I can think of myself because I haven't s- seen a lot but uh, yeah. w- once you're in this series for whatever reason if you're researching it as a writer or if you're, or if you're a fan is it easy to keep up with it uh, and uh, and take it all in or do you like to take like one series at a time and explore this type of monster uh, on its own and then move on well when when you're a kid and and you're they're showing it on the 430 movie and they're edited down to 90 minutes you have no sense that there's any continuity whatsoever it's just like oh there's a Godzilla movie on what's he up to this time mm. and uh, only when I got into college and I started to seek out um, the Japanese cuts of these movies uh, on video, uh, and I got these beautiful letterboxed, you know, uh, laser disc that had been uh, wonderfully subtitled back then in the 80s. Uh, they started to pop up, and you realize that there's a lot of continuity. It's really uh, they they were very very aware of the continuity between movie to movie where uh uh you know the at the end of godzilla he's gone but in the, the next movie which was uh godzilla raids again or they they actually didn't even call it a godzilla movie here it was gigantus the fire monster That's right. I remember, remember as a kid saying oh I'll, I'll you know 
that sounds interesting. I'll turn it on. And you turn it on and you're like, wait a second. This is, this is a Godzilla movie that I've never seen or heard of before. What is this? Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, then that brings a hole where, where there's another Godzilla and there's, uh, Angelus is in that one. Mm -hmm. And at the end, um, you know, he, they encase him in ice after they bury him in an avalanche. And, uh, at the, uh, so then the next time you see him, uh, is King Kong versus Godzilla, where he's coming out of the ice, and you wouldn't have made that if you saw King Kong versus Godzilla. You think, "Wow, he's just coming out of an iceberg because he's been trapped there since, you know, uh, prehistoric times or something." Mm -hmm. uh, but no, it's it, there's continuity, and then in in uh, Godzilla versus Mothra's his next appearance, um, he's washed up from his fight from uh, with Kong in a typhoon. And he, that has an excellent entrance scene for Godzilla where he actually comes out of the mud and the earth after the typhoon is settled. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, they, so the, each one does, they have a very, very good continuity. Um, although, you know, not w maybe with the human characters who uh, recur and play different people every time. Mm -hmm. uh, like uh, Takeshi Shimura, the great Japanese actor who's uh, the from the Seven Samurai and... Uh, played Dr. Yamana, right, in yeah. Godzilla. Yes. Um, he turns up constantly. Um, and they, even though, you know, it, there's a familiarity with the uh, actors, even though they're not the same characters. Uh, but they do make an effort to have a bridge where Godzilla, at least, you know where he was at the end of the last movie, here he is again. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that went up until... They, they they kept that strong and then with Destroy All Monsters because they set it in the future 1999 uh, they, they, that's where they established Monster Island and all that fun, fun um, mythos that they had that was uh, the space age monster mythos where they I, is really fun the, do, do you um, I mean to Toho obviously produced a lot of these great ones but what, what are the other great studios that uh, rolled out monsters. Well, the other one is Dae with uh, the Gamera and Daimajin movies. I mean, there's a worldwide, there's plenty of uh, giant monster movies. Um, in fact, the two from Britain, uh, Gorgo and Kanga, are pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, Gorgo being the, the actual good one, Kanga being the um, this, is, this is entertaining but not because it's a great movie, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, kind of, it, it, and it has uh, oh, what's his name? The uh, I can't remember the man's name. He was in. Uh, he played uh, Alfred in the uh, Tim Burton Batman movie, uh, British actor. But perfect for a for a monster movie to be carried around by a giant um, gorilla climbing up uh, Big Ben or wherever he was. <laughs> How, how how well did they match uh, or uh, special effects? So they really weren't aiming to to match any AG Subaraya uh, greatness. Um, uh, the Dai the Dai movies or and, and maybe that's the Dai movies. I mean, Gamera is not uh, a special effects tour de force to say the least. But they're a different. They're a whole different animal. They're uh, they're a kids movie. They're a uh, they're just kind of what they are. <laughs> um, I, and when I was a kid, they used to show, and it was always, you know, a uh, monster from a prehistoric planet uh, was Gappa, or uh, they wouldn't actually have the the monster names uh, in a lot of the American titles sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, uh, you know, destroy all planets. You know, they were just trying to, to bridge the gap between things you might have seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point actually because uh, if you watch at least the Godzilla raids again, American re-edits, uh, it mm -hmm. plays out more like a familiar sci-fi movies that audiences would have seen at that time in America. It has that rampant voiceover, and uh, you know it opens with the stock footage of the of a nuclear bomb and stuff like that. But it seems like they tailored it so that people wouldn't feel. Um, 
feel that it was yeah they're trying to make it foreign. familiar mm-hmm. yeah they're trying to make it familiar but i think they're squeezing life out of it uh you just i mean if you're making a if you're gonna have a godzilla movie just have a godzilla movie it's yeah. successful for a reason you know but I do like in Godzilla Raids again, that is literally everything the main character does is voiced over. Here I am in the airplane. I was <laughs> yes. flying. And, and, I, uh, think, is it, I think, is it George Takai that's the voice that's doing that? I, I don't remember if they... It's the voice of, of Speed Racer, too, is one of the voices. Right. And Paul Fries, who was marvelous in, I mean, if you know Disney movies right, or any, any of those, like, uh, Rankin-Bass animated Christmas specials, mm-hmm. you'd recognize his voice right away. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he voiced uh, Toshiro Mifune quite often too when they dubbed him uh, into uh, English language. Right, right, right. Yeah, when you get uh, when you get people that don't sound uh, retarded, which is usually <laughs> the case if you watch English. Got yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, maybe it would fit, but uh, you know, if you. Often with English dubs from elsewhere, and I, I'm a fairly big fan of English dubs. But uh, you know, speaking of Hong Kong movies, it, uh, it kind Richard of Richard Eng gets the worst. He's always saying, "Hey, how's it going?" You know, he's got that Peter Lorre thing going in these dub movies. It's like, why is Richard Eng speaking like that? <laughs> or Eric Sang always sounds a lot like uh, Lou Costello, although he does do kind of that in his own yeah, uh, when yeah, he does. You can't win with uh, Eric Zang, it just sounds uh, <laughs> weird anyway. Uh, but uh, it's, it's a shame that they would ruin uh, ruin the comedic genius of a guy like Richard with a bad dubber. But, uh, oh my god, when he's on Meals, uh, the dub, and he turns up at the uh, mental hospital, it's like you can't even, it would be easier to understand him in Chinese with no subtitles. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> So moving on a little bit, I I, I guess you've answered this, but uh, we we can still talk about it. Uh, What what era of monster movies, uh, if you're talking Godzilla or whatever, would you deem to be the most creative and exciting, and uh, with emphasis on creative, um, uh, creative filmmaking? I think I think that those Honda movies, not just the Godzilla movies, but all of those Honda science fiction movies. Um, whether it's like uh, the H Man or um, uh, Battle in uh, not yeah uh, I'm mixing up Battle in Outer Space or War in Space I'm mixing them up it's Battle in Outer Space is the Honda one mm-hmm. War in Space is the uh, June Fukada one right um, uh, they're just brimming with creative ideas and colorful and just just a, a they just seem like they're such uh, great guys like they got together they had they knew their strengths let's make them you know we have a, a, one of the greatest mu- movie musicians on hand we have this uh Subaraya doing the special effects we have uh they you know a bunch of comedic actors from tv and they all just kind of got together and uh just we're creative like this is what we do we're creative guys mm-hmm. and over and over again they just turned out these, you know, comic book fun, super colorful. I mean, if you see the new print of the H-Man that just came out, there's a uh, new DVD uh, icons of uh, sci-fi Toho collection. Mm-hmm. My God, the color of uh, of the H-Man and Mothra in that, when, when they go to Infant Island in that Mothra movie, and uh, there's all these different molds growing uh that are you know radiated and super color it's like they're going into some sort of willy wonka world <laughs> that is just amazingly colorful and you're like I, that is just an amazing set design the sets are just incredible and they had to build them twice because they have the tiny girls right uh acting in them as well so it's just like wow these guys set design you know just really really strong just just great but then I also, I love the uh, Gamera movies from the 90s. The three uh, uh, Shisuke Kaneko movies. Um, and if you, if you haven't seen those, I really recommend seeking them out. Um, they, they had a nice box set uh, that wasn't too expensive, but now is unfortunately out of print. Uh, but they had uh, pretty good 
uh, subtitled copies in that set if you can track it down. Um, just great. Just uh, he's he's references everything good about the uh, Honda movies. Um, you know, he, he he sets it. He he gets the tone really correct, and will have you know a lot of callbacks to uh, say you know the meteorite shower that introduces Ghidorah yeah. is uh, s- similar to the meteorite shower that he has introducing the Legion monster in uh, in the second Gamera movie uh, of his. They're just. Uh, the special effects are just great for what they are, and I really recommend those. They're great. The the new um, Godzilla movies that started with uh, the eighty four one, or, or um, di- didn't that start out fairly serious? I only remember fragments of it, but uh, well, the, when they released the uh, Godzilla in nineteen eighty four, in uh, it was a huge event in New York. They had, I mean. Uh, Godzilla was showing up all over the place when I was a kid, mm. like you know, a Godzilla costume, and uh, they brought back Raymond Burr, and but then when you saw the movie, it was it wasn't that great, and it had so many product placements for Dr Pepper <laughs> that it was it was really like oh come on you know just enough with this already, so it was like. Uh, I mean, the idea of starting again and making it a direct sequel to the first one and just saying none of the other ones happened mm-hmm. uh, was kind of a nice reset. And it turned out to be a nice reset because a lot of those are really enjoyable, those 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 uh, um, second string of Godzilla movies. The, uh, the first one, not my favorite, where they defeat him with bird calls at the end. <laughs> And uh, but then the second one with uh, Biolante, uh, the the monster is so great. Uh, the it starts to really pick up. Then uh, I think that the third one, I think they brought back Mothra was the third one. Uh, yeah, I've uh, seen and, that somewhere. I have. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's the, I think that's the third one, and that's where it was really like, okay, this is a whole new. They're they're upping the ante a little bit. Uh, they're they're doing everything that they used to do, only a little sillier and a little be- looks a little cool, you know. The, the special effects uh, they spent some money on, and then the I, the the next one was the Ghidra one, which I if you haven't seen it, drop everything and see that one because it is crazy. <laughs> um, it it has so many anti-American. Uh, scenes and statements in it it has aliens time travel robots uh, uh everything about it is insane they even go back in time and what and godzilla before he becomes a mutated di- dinosaur is just a regular dinosaur called a uh gojirasaurus of course <laughs> and he happens to be on an island um where the uh U.S. military is fighting the Japanese, and the Japanese are about to be wiped out. But then the Gajirasaurus kills all the Americans and saves <laughs> the uh, the uh, Japanese. And uh, then flash forward to the future, where the uh, commander of the Japanese forces that uh, Godzilla saved has become the biggest businessman in Japan and has built Japan into the powerhouse of money that it is today <laughs> uh, which it was then you know and uh, he's got this sort of there's it has this one amazing thing where he comes face to face with Godzilla that might be one of the one of the best tiny moments in these movies it's just so great uh, it's just an insane movie that has more in it than you could possibly imagine I mean, I mean, that's always what they did in kind of way that they, they it seemed like the playing field was wide open. Whatever idea you come up with, we will give you the money for it. If it's a thing, then we can make it into a monster. You know, yeah, if, exactly. If it's, if, if, it's, if it's stuff, we can make it into a uh, monster. Ghidra becomes Mecha Ghidra over the course of that movie, <laughs> yeah, too. Go. And then at the end of that one, because of the time travel uh, for the next movie, 
they're able to build Mecha Godzilla, and that one's really good. I love that uh, that '90s uh, Mecha Godzilla one, the first one of the '90s. Then they brought him back several times for some uh, inferior ones after the Millennium uh, kind of reboot. But that that '90s, I think '95, '94. I'm not even sure. Uh, Mecha Godzilla one. Uh, just great. It has the human characters are engaging, so you get into what's going on there, uh, which is kind of what makes these movies hit or miss. Sometimes is how much you care about who's going to get stepped on and not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one just that one's a success. I think that the you actually care a little bit about uh, the human characters, and uh, it's just it has a, a reintroduction of baby Godzilla. Um, but in a much more uh, entertaining way than uh, the Son of Godzilla Minya version. Um, Just great. I recommend it highly. um, I'm thinking here, they they never really veered off the concept of uh, a guy in a suit fighting another monster. So do do you think they uh, adjusted well to... The tools they had in the 80s when they made, you know, another giant uh, guy in a giant uh, in, in a suit movie, because because I, they, they they've never decided we're gonna make it totally CGI, right? Uh, they 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 adhere to the old, old tradition all throughout the final wars and the they, new movies. They they never used CGI for the costumes in those in those first those 90s or you know 80s into 90s ones. They do have a couple of CGI moments like Godzilla is attacked by a. By a ship that freezes him in ice, and the that that's a CGI occurrence when they mm-hmm. do that, or uh, maybe a couple of facial expressions they give him. Right. Uh, I'm trying to recall where his eyebrow will go, and you're like, oh, they had a little CGI yeah. there, but it doesn't it doesn't detract one whatsoever. But but no one really abandoned that H.O. tradition. No, I mean, even no. after well, the new millennium. No, the they do uh, in the third Gamera movie of the of the '90s. They have uh, a, some CGI that's really good, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually, I, they, there's very few actual monster scenes in that film, and I think they were trying to save the budget so that they could make it as good as they could. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get to see uh, kind of a dog fight. Uh, midair in that movie that's wow. really amazing um, which you don't see I mean you know they they, they never really show that uh, even though the monsters are all flying around in the films you never quite see a upper atmosphere dog fight uh, between monsters like this um, and it's it has some really exceptional special effects but they're they save them for when they can afford it it seems like but the movie carries along really well, uh, despite waiting to see the monsters. They get there's enough suspense and uh, waiting to see familiar things that you know are going to happen because you've seen the first two movies. Right. Yeah. What's your take on the uh, on, on on this last uh, series of Godzilla films? Uh, uh, they look they look pretty, but they're kind of boring, and they're a little the acting is a little stodgy. Uh, there's, you know, I think when you don't embrace the, uh, a lot of the music or the tone and you just go for the, the, they're more of a toy based production, like let's sell some, you know, fire Mothra or, you know, underwater Mothra, uh, type of thing. Uh, it just, it's, I assume that Saturday afternoon, some, uh, dad in Japan is taking his kid to those and having a blast. <laughs> um, but they don't play. They don't play so so well. Uh, just the pacing's a little off, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's uh, nice. I... They, they, you know, they try and bring back stuff, and they they actually brought back uh, the Star of Mothra for the for the Mothra Mecha Godzilla Godzilla attack one yeah. um, and it's nice you know and they show clips from the old movies to show that oh this is you know a continuation of that uh, which is a nice touch but just the pacing if if you're an adult moviegoer and you're looking for a you know fast-paced kaleidoscope of of 
uh, action. It's a little, little tough. Do you think enough's en- enough now, or do you think they will uh, try and reboot uh, oh. the Godzilla franchise again? Well, I did. You, I, I did. I forwarded you before that uh, dream sequence from that uh, movie, Always Sunset on. Uh, Is it Third Street? On, uh, on Third Street, I, I'm blanking out. Yeah. Um, which had the you know. Uh, opened with a Godzilla dream sequence because it's a like a kind of a family dramedy yeah. set in the 50s and uh, for the sequel to the movie which was one of the most successful movies ever in Japan uh, although I haven't seen it but when they made a sequel because it was so successful with the budget they said let's go for a full dream sequence Godzilla opening yeah. um, so it was a full CGI two minute Godzilla opening that you know was mostly about the uh, the characters that everyone had seen from this first uh, family comedy, but I, it was like an eye opener. It was like wow, this if they showed uh, uh, if they created a new CGI Godzilla that embraced the atmosphere of the originals, mm-hmm. the you know the the hallmarks of what makes it Godzilla. I mean, he's not just a monster; he's that monster that did this, you know, uh, and lived within this, uh, you know, atmosphere, I think they could make a really good movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it depends on the director. You know, if you get like a, the guy who did the Gamera movies, and he did that one Godzilla movie that everyone loves, um, which is hit or miss for me. It has some awesome scenes, but then some crazy ideas that I really couldn't get into that, uh, um, Mothra, Godzilla, King Ghidra, all-out attack. Ah, uh, yes, a couple totally. years ago. Yeah, that's right. He, that's the same director, uh, Shisuke Kaneko. <laughs> not uh, Kaneko. Yes. And uh, he, I, if you got someone that was that that really understood it, I think it would be a fabulous movie with modern technology. Mm-hmm. And. If you didn't, then you got. Then we're in for another uh, horrible, sufferable experience like that uh, awful American Godzilla movie, which was <laughs> probably the worst movie I've ever seen in the uh, movie yeah. theater. It, uh, it it leads us into you know uh, uh, non-defense of filmmaking, but the old the good Godzilla movies, uh, you know, you, you have to defend that filmmaking in front of some people sometimes. Uh, so, uh, have you encountered that? Uh, try and convince people that this is actually top of the line stuff. Uh, the fifties and sixties ones, for instance. Well, I don't. I I, tr- I absolutely don't try and convince anyone that these are the greatest movies, or even try and convince anyone, you know, that they should change their minds. Because if someone doesn't gravitate towards this in the first place, mm. I don't think anyone's ever going to say, okay, you know. Uh, this is for me. I think that maybe it's a childhood thing where you see it and it becomes acceptable mm-hmm. or you just have some sort of personal thing where I know that when uh, the, the re-release of, of the original uncut Japanese Godzilla showed um, in America uh, about two, three years ago, mm-hmm. um, that a lot of people uh, printed uh, reviews that were kind of like shut my mouth that is an incredible classic yeah. what was I thinking um, and you know but who would have seen these I mean I'm an exception because I've been uh, you know kind of a movie nut that would have seeked out uh, these these great uh, laserdisc subtitled versions American audiences uh, because I think they were so uh, used to seeing these movies in their uh, dubbed, really very grainy, washed out, no color on the TV. I mean, they might as well have been black and white mm-hmm. with uh, desaturated prints that uh, mostly American international uh, pictures would would uh, distribute them. Yeah. That uh, they really do get a bad rap. And when you, you're someone like me who's seen them uh, you know the laserdisc versions from those the 80s subtitled and kind of grown along with that you, you have a different uh, point of view about them you see like these are really beautifully shot widescreen uh, a-list Japanese movies 
that you know a movie like you know the amazing colossal man isn't as good <laughs> as one of these movies mm-hmm. um although the amazing colossal man would get a much more favorable uh reputation you know just mm-hmm. uh I, you know it's a it's a racism thing probably um you know uh over the years but i think that's died out and people have really recognized uh that some of these movies are great or at least uh a lot of the critics have mm-hmm. and when that uh, Godzilla movie uh the original ma- had a theatrical run uh in art house theaters about 2 years ago um people were uh really apologizing uh for not considering this an out and out f- you know five star classic mm-hmm. all along and uh that and you know a lot of people blamed the uh the edit uh with Raymond Burr inserted and some of the uh uh you know omissions that the American print had mm-hmm. but i think even that american print i mean it's there's a lot of it is in there yeah, uh people not might not no yeah people might not have wanted to have the obvious uh you know we were we were uh, attacked uh with atomic bombs and this is what it was like you know emotionally for us uh tone but if you if you can't see that american cut and not pick up on that then you're not watching it <laughs> you know exactly uh i mean it's more obvious in the japanese cut but but really uh the american cut it actually it has an interesting take where it instead of dubbing it puts an american edits an american in there and he kind of you know narrates and the japanese actors are still most of the time speaking japanese mm-hmm. um so it's it is a unique uh edit and thought and it was tremendously successful here um so they did something right at the time you know i mean, I mean it's that edit that version uh, that that started it all so i mean we can never yeah. uh, f- thankfully therefore it kind of holds up still as yeah, a, compar- uh, as a companion piece uh, i mean it's i don't think it in any way compares to the original cut which is really very strong i mean just the equal of of any classic foreign film as far as i'm concerned just a really strong uh work but i think people are coming around and i don't think that you can change people's uh opinion at this point like i don't try and convince anyone you know uh that destroy all monsters is for them mm-hmm. if they don't if they if i i think that they have to be of a mind to have seen it already to appreciate it or they're never going to you know um but when you, my when, usual, when you do have to go on the defense the very few times you do have to go on the yeah. defense uh, my my defense is always if someone dismisses them uh, i'll just say that if you compare any of these movies to movies made at the same time then if you can't see if you're going to critique the special effects or the the, the tone if you compare if you watch uh you only live twice as uh scenes of the rocket ship blasting off and landing in the volcano mm-hmm. if you compare um uh like journey to the center of the earth or the lost world where they glued dorsal fins onto iguanas and and uh you know uh lizards or <laughs> or uh you know any of these these movies of the time or the giant ants of them you know they they the, I think the difference is that the american movies cut away quickly because they're self-conscious about themselves whereas the japanese ones are just like let's just let it all hang out and do these special effects for a 15 minute sequence uncut and you're going to see it all and i don't think there's really i think that the japanese movies the special effects are actually quite good or better than in most cases than their american counterparts and uh they had bought in 1964 subaru got uh uh the company to invest in a what they call an oxbury optical printer which allowed him to do these composite shots and 
the only other company in the world at the time that had one was Disney. And Disney was doing things like Mary Poppins, and uh, they were doing the special effects for uh, Forbidden Planet, um, you know, where the, the, the uh, id monster comes uh, into the electric fence, which is such a fantastic thing in Forbidden Planet. They were, th that was the only other uh, use of this machine. Toho and Tsuburaya had the only other one. And it really shows when the, I mean, Ghidra's beams, uh, Godzilla's breath effects, amazingly uh, distinctive and much better than a lot of the, uh, you know, freeze frame uh, paint in a laser shot uh, effects of, of sci-fi movies of the time. Mm -hmm. Or uh, I think where it is especially great is combining the uh, Mothra fairies in with the real world um, just great composite shots just yeah. wonderful effects absolutely great very creative their attention to detail and creating the miniatures for those I mean it's rare that I notice and I remember that they're not a foot high uh, in the movies where you're like oh I can see the the, the, the composite there um, and occasionally when someone grabs them it'll look like a doll for a second you know um, but, 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 but if really you're a proper great. movie fan you yeah. notice that and you easily move on. Easily, easily, because they're telling a story, and, and that's the important part, and it really works. Yeah. Uh, the, the, everyone, you know, the ice lines of people looking at monsters and the girls and everything, everything matches really well. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you say, like, you know, My Michael Keaton in Multiplicity, he might as well, when he's acting next to himself, yeah. you know, his eye line is crazy. Um, and it's just, you know, they were, it was like their genre. They did it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it really worked. I think it's great. And the, the other thing I say if someone's arguing against it, is, uh, you know, these old men in suit rubber monsters, is that it, it, Godzilla is just as believable as a big mutant dinosaur as Kermit is believable as a frog. <laughs> that y y if you're not willing to go in with the proper spirit on this, then don't bother. You know, I don't, I, do, I realize that Kermit the Frog is not a frog. He's a sock puppet. Mm -hmm. But I love him. What? Right? <laughs> yeah. He's awesome. He's great. <laughs> I believe every second he's got a personality. Yeah. And, you know, Godzilla was played by the same, same gentleman for all of his films. I mean, he is uh, acting that part. And it's funny in parts. It's, you know, he, they certainly had some uh, silly moments with him, but he's mm -hmm. got his own personality. And it's like its own, it's its own art form, like puppetry or, you know, anything else. It, it has its own uh, charm to it. And even in like movies like Ape, if you ever saw that, uh, the Korean-American co-production, uh, when uh, that King Kong-like monster gives uh, the finger to... <laughs> yeah. I mean, e even that is completely silly and it's the worst special effects spectacle I've ever seen from this genre, but it's, uh, it has... It's because it has a spirit, uh, as, as you describe, a, a fun spirit. It's not a movie yeah. that tries to be serious. And Ape, I mean, th there's nothing that is convincing in Ape. It's like when if Ed Wood would have tried to make uh, a kaiju movie and they would kind of end up like this and therefore be a classic i mean so so so, so that's kind of an example of uh, kaiju outside of japan and we, and we discussed obviously uh the the british attempts uh, but um, uh, any other to, uh, any other influences the, to mention the craziest one that uh there there is is there's a north korean monster movie uh, called Pulgasari that it was produced uh, by Kim Jong-il <laughs> absolutely mind-boggling he kidnapped the uh, director and forced him I believe he also kidnapped the main actress from South Korea and I mean forced them kidnapped them and forced them to make this giant monster movie and he brought in I don't know why in the world these people cooperated but he brought in some Japanese including uh uh, the fellow who had been playing uh, Godzilla in those 90s movies to play Pulgasari. Really? He, you know, went all out. He spent all his money on doing all of this. And it's 
really insane. It's this girl who makes a monster out of mushed rice, and then it combines with blood and grows into this kind of uh, big dog-like dinosaur thing. <laughs> I, it, I don't know how available this movie is, but if you want to get a few friends together and say, hey, I've got the weirdest movie you've ever seen, uh, Kim Jong-il made it. <laughs> this is the one. Uh, really a bizarre piece of work. Wow. Uh, and, and, and I, you know, can't I you almost feel bad buying it because you're like, is some, is some way Kim Jong-il going to get some money out of it? Well, at least he had a good taste to make a, you know, something related to kaiju, rather than. Oh, uh, he apparently loves it. I mean, that's the word is that it's he's an obsessive fan. Uh, there are some. I I was at a uh, New York hotel that just happened to be uh, also hosting a uh, some sort of kaiju fest in the early '90s, and I tell you that a lot of the monster fans. I wouldn't invite him over for dinner. Oh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there is some real dark, dark souls, dark souls, uh, very tight clothes, uh, and and very large proportions of of frame to fit. A lot of fanny packs were uh, witnessed. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, of course, the, that's that's a small minority. I'm hoping, but there were some real. Uh, you know, if you ever get around one of these uh, fan conventions, there are obviously a couple of people there are you know socially uh, a little a little off. <laughs> but this one, this one took the cake. The, the 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 table the table of people selling their fan f- f- kaiju fiction was breathtaking. <laughs> but then there's, I mean, there's plenty. I'm I'm talking about a small number of people but they just struck me as like saying wow there's some really special people that really love this stuff yeah. so Kim Jong-il falls into that category yeah. I guess so, I mean it, that's kind of like the that's raising the bar high I guess I mean if King <laughs> Wow. Yes, if you get, I I don't think anybody at a uh, convention has kidnapped anybody and forced them to make a movie at gunpoint, which is just mind blowing that this actually happened. Well, it's been great talking to you, and uh, this is Brian Kirby signing off. And if you get a chance, visit shelflifeclothing.com. I've got some cool Asian cinema T-shirts that uh, you might find wearable. Thanks for everything.